tonight, Lost in the Long Box celebrates African American History Month by celebrating the works of African American artists and writers in the comic industry. During tonight's broadcast, you may hear words and phrases that we as a society have identified as being offensive, insensitive, and inappropriate in polite company. We urge all our listeners to bear in mind that it is only because those same words and phrases were part of the comic company's names and their titles, which were unfortunately part of the accepted early 20th century American language and thus reflected in the periodicals of the day. They are not representative of the opinions or beliefs of the crew or hosts of Lost in the Long Box or FXBG Public Radio. Live, Good bro. evening and welcome to Lost in a Long Box for Wednesday, Jan- uh, February 13th. Um, Mad Men, awesome job reading the disclaimer there. And, and starting the show right this time. Exactly, exactly. right. Well, you, you got, got the right music. He got the right music last week. Yeah. <laughs> I've been screwing up the last two weeks. He's proud of me. <laughs> hey, hey, give him a break. He's got multiple podcasts he's trying to keep track of. He, there you go. They, they, they start to blend for him after a while. Um, do you want to do that now? Whenever you're ready. Okay. Um, so, well, you know, all right, let's go ahead and tell you who has brought you Lost in the Long Box yeah, this week. Yeah, we are sponsored by Danny's Pizza and Subs. Go to dannyspizzaandsubs.com, or you can call them at 898-5008. They're located in the Lees Hill Shopping Center at 10657 Spotsylvania Avenue here in Fredericksburg, Virginia. Uh, they have a limited delivery area. Um, their hours are Monday through Thursday, 11 a.m. to 9 p.m. Uh, Friday and Saturday, they're open from 11 a.m. to 10 p.m. And on Sundays, they're open from noon to 8 p.m. Uh, yeah, it's always buy one, get one free pizzas at dannyspizzaandsubs.com. Give them a call at 898-5008 and tell them Lost in the Long Box sent you. Awesome. Bill's paid, sir. Thank you, Danny's awesome. Pizza and Subs. So uh, get to keep the get to stay on the air one more week. There you go. <laughs> Luck when that happens. It's a, it's a monthly thing. All right. So uh, how was everybody's weekend? Oh, pretty good. Good. Pretty good. Yep. Can't complain. Yeah. I um for our listeners out there, I should actually take pictures of these and post them on on the Facebook page. It's um, nerd porn, it really is. But I, I just got those are beautiful, man. I just got these last. I literally just got these yesterday, and it was took everything I had to not just sit down and open up and look at right. them. I had to do the house chores first. <laughs> but uh, my, my favorite character is Flash, the the Barry Allen Flash. That's the one I cut my teeth on. And there's a dealer named Crazy Ed who I see down at Dragon Con every year, and I have bought tons of Flash from, to the point that he now just emails me when he has something good, and I'm like, oh, crap, here goes all my money. Yeah, right? Uh, That's so, what he wants. That's what you're looking for. So I just picked up some very nice copies of Flash 113, 115, and 129. Wow. Um, and the, these are classics. 113 is the first trickster. 115 is one of the famous... Um, uh, Flash um, morph covers. This is the one where he gets all fat. I also had the the big headed Flash um, from it as well. Yeah. And then 129 is the second appearance of Jay Garrick, but I believe it's the first appearance of Golden Glider. There you go. Okay. So I need to get 123, which is the first appearance of Jay Garrick. I was looking through my collectioner day. How ironic is this? I have 120, 121, 122, whole 124, 125. <laughs> I wonder why. Hmm. Could it be because yeah, you know, one twenty three is a very very expensive comic? Yeah, it's that very Not, much so. One so, of the most important comics of the Silver Age, I would say. Also, really quickly here, um, you listeners, you know, we were talking about some of the Holy Grails and books that we want, and you already know about Thomas and I and our uh, Patsy Walker ninety five and that blood shall be spilt. Whoever finds it first. <laughs> Some people call it an obsession. I don't but know. <laughs> I'm going to put another one out there for you, and I'm pretty much certain everyone can grab this one. It doesn't seem to be as scarce, and I found it today on another website who I shan't mention on our air um but world's finest 153 is the origin of the famous bat slap that's been used in all the, the memes <laughs> where robin says something and batman slaps him so yes that's where that originated and, I- meme, and ironically in the actual comic book the image is flipped oh really batman's on the left and robin's on the right whereas the the meme is the verse robin's on the left and batman's on the right slapping him so there's one, too, that was out there. Unfortunately, the, the meme wasn't the way it was written in the comic book. It was Spidey Super Stories. Apparently, it had Namor and Dr. Doom in it. And Namor was telling Doom not to toot. And Doom goes, bah, Doom will toot as he pleases. Oh and you have no idea how much I wish that was real I, because I, I would have ran out and bought, bought that comic. In a I thought you were talking about the one where Sandman is fisting Spider-Man. Uh, oh. <laughs> I don't think I want that one. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I think we'll pass on that one. 
I don't know if it's Sam, and I can't remember. Not on my wish list. I'm going to have to go find it. That's not on my wish list. That'll never be on my wish list. All right. So moving right along, uh, let's get to some of the news and noteworthy items that came along last week. It's funny. um, When I was first making the notes, nothing really struck me as being interesting. But then, you know, Tuesday comes, and I start looking again. I go, damn it. Now, that's kind of cool. So now i got to put that up there. Um, For instance, I did not know that um, apparently, I guess, The Gifted on Fox is not actually doing all that well. Because their producer, Matt Nix, said uh, he's not certain if it's coming back to mainstream TV after season two, that it may go to a streaming service. Huh. Mm. Well, I, I haven't seen this, the, the Gifted, so I don't know whether uh, it's doing well or not. I mean, that's probably part of the way. I have to freely admit well. that I watched maybe the first 30 minutes of the first episode and didn't follow it then. So maybe it shouldn't be a surprise uh-huh. that it's going to streaming only. I know my brother was big on the first season. I, he, he said it was good, so I, I don't know. And, and well, here's the thing. It has Natalie Allen Lind in it. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, how does a show like that not succeed? Because, you know, just uh, all I'm going to say. She's hot. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, she's very hot. Uh, let um, me Google it. Me, hold on. Nat- Natalie what? Natalie Allen Lind. The, last, the middle name, I think, is A-L-N or A-Y-N. And then it's like last name is Lind. Just do Natalie and then like A-L and you'll, it'll Google pre-fill the rest of it. Lind? Yes. And also found out, um, so this is kind of interesting. So, you know, Aquaman Digital is coming, digital release on the 3rd of next month. The Blu-ray to DVD will be on the, on the 26th. 26th. But I also just read that apparently the Blu-ray, maybe even the, the DVD, I don't know, is going to have a, pre, a sneak peek of Shazam on it. Um, yeah. Just yeah. literally like, you know, four or five days, like what, maybe two weeks before it actually drops in the theater. So... I have a sneaking suspicion it's just going to be the long editions of the trailers and a little bit of maybe some interviews with Zachary Levi and the, and the other kids. Mm-hmm. So, okay. Um, oh, Thomas, you and I are actually talking about this one the other day um, when we noticed that there's now a leak of the Shazam toys and it looks like the rest of the kids do get the Shazam powers. Apparently, the director, David Sandberg, and the producer, Peter Safran, Shazam, um, did say that... There's going to be the appearance of the sins, the seven deadly sins okay. that get them there. So they apparently are going to play a heavy role, which I'm thinking means, crap, I need to split my powers and get some help. Mm-hmm. So we're probably going to see Mary Marvel. That's uh, what I'm probably Freddie thinking. Freddie Freeman. Yes. Yeah, Fred, Fred, well, Freddie is the uh, young kid. Freddie, I know, is already in it, but right. I mean, oh, so yeah, as far as super We're going to see him. Now, here's a little bit of irony. One of the adopted parents... Is played by DJ Katrona, who very few few people know this. There was a Justice League movie that was scrapped by George Miller, who was the director of the Mad Max film with uh, Tom Hardy. And DJ Katrona was Superman. Is that the one where they were going to go to Australia to film it, and it literally got scrapped about a a month before they were supposed to fly out? Right. Right. Uh, and then they were supposed to go out, and that's when the writer strike kicked in, right. and everything went straight to hell from there. And and another bit of bitter irony that's part uh, could be very well part of the news is that Army Hammer's name is being tossed around again as Batman. I say again because Army Hammer was Batman in Justice right. League Mortal, and he didn't do too bad as the Lone Ranger. Um, but you know the Lone Ranger smelled, so you know. Well, except yeah, now they're tanked. Except now they're tossing around that Patterson kid for the Batman. Um, uh, I can I can't see that happening. Yeah, his his name's been has risen to the top of the crop. Uh, so another announcement, and I actually found this one um, almost kind of exciting. DC and McFarland Toys have signed a deal. Um, I think for like the next three years to produce um, toys based on DC characters. And if you've seen any of the McFarland toys, those used to be highly articulated, highly detailed toys. So yeah. I'm loving to see what's going to happen with that. And they said it's not just going to be the characters. It's going to be the movies, the video games. Wow. So that's, cool. that's, a, that's a big deal for, for uh, Todd McFarland. Can, you, can yeah. you imagine some McFarland toys based off the Teen Titans Go? Oh, wow. Those things aren't going to stay on the shelf. No. No. They're not. I just re- they're going to make a regular Teen Titans, though, right? Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Is. I don't know if you ever saw McFarlane Toys back when he first launched in the 90s. Yeah. Um, you couldn't swing a dead cat and not hit a McFarlane toy of something. Right. Because I think he even did some marbles for a while, right? Uh, I think so. And I know he did um, I know he did some sports-related stuff, too. Yes, he did. He still yeah. has. And, and guess what? They've made it to Walmart now. Oh, okay. 
So now you can then you don't have to go to a comic shop to get any of his sports figures. You can get them right in Walmart along with some pops. Yep. So I was just I think uh, what I was reading is we should start seeing the DC figures start dropping next year. Oh wow. So um, other big news apparently. Um, Hulu has just worked a great deal with Marvel to do some streaming animated shows over there. And Thomas, who was pointing this out to me earlier, Kevin Smith has been greenlit to do um, Howard the Duck Duck. cartoon. Yep, yep, yep. I can't wait for that. I love me some Howard the Duck. And I tell you what, we really need to see in this cartoon an appearance of Howard and the Heartbreakers. Mm-hmm. And that's going back. And that's going back to the movie. Enos is over here laughing. He knows exactly where oh, I pulled yeah. that, and so does Mad Men. Trapped in the world he never made. We had a little band in college, Howard and the Heartbreakers. Mm. Another one, and let's see if you get this one. Another cartoon they're going to do, and I'm really excited about this one is Tigra and Dazzler. Oh, and I tell you what, yes, sir. After having seen Boogie Nights, if Heather Graham's not doing the voice of Dazzler, I'm going to be really upset. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I don't know much about that one. I, I mean, that, I'm not looking forward to that one as I am the uh, the other two. I mean, Howard the Duck because it's you know Howard the Duck. Um, you know, I'm not a huge Tiger fan. Yeah, I'm kind of eh on Dazzler, but I'll probably end up watching it. Well, just the uh, the girl team on that one has got the, the potential to be hysterical. Oh yeah. But now, did you see Boogie Nights? I did not. I have not seen. So Boogie the Nights. reason I made that reference is in the movie Boogie Nights. Heather Graham plays a porn star um, known as Roller Girl. Roller Girl. And everywhere she goes in a movie, she's wearing roller skates, and she's got long blonde hair. And I thought to myself, is she's one bad costume away from being dazzling. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yep, yep, absolutely. There you go. Which is why she needs to be <laughs> the, voice. the voice of Dazzler. Uh, did you also see, too, that Netflix did not say that the Marvel shows are dead, that there was a chance of uh, resurrecting them? No, I did not. When did that come out? Uh, a couple days ago. Oh, wow. So I don't know if they're talking about them going to Hulu or maybe Netflix realizing the whole we screwed up. But <laughs> well, let's hope so that they uh, that they keep them. I'd love another season of The Punisher. Yep. Yeah. Ugh. So have you guys got anything that you read this week that went, huh? I got something right in my hand right now that what I'm you, absolutely surprising. Got? Titanic director James Cameron criticizes Aquaman oh, for yes. lack of realism. <laughs> what? <laughs> I, I, read it, I read this too. He gave them crap about the fact that they just kind of soared through the water and then made a tongue-in-cheek comment about suspension of disbelief. And I'm like, really? You filmed a movie about blue aliens on a lush forest planet. You want us to suspend our... Okay. It's well, first what the off, hell did you think they were going to do in water? Baked cinnamon rolls? <laughs> Damn. <laughs> I mean, something... Cameron, yeah. sit your ass down, they'd man. Right. Go they'd, on somewhere. They'd be all soggy, wouldn't they? Mm, oh, it, tell me about it. Although, you know what? I do have one small bone to pick with this. Remember in Justice League when Aquaman went to go visit Mera? Mm-hmm. She created a bubble of air yep. for them to talk. You didn't see that at all in, in Aquaman. Aquaman. And I'm thinking, okay, so we learned to sound project in water, and then we couldn't have done that like however many months ago. Well, wouldn't they be louder if they came up on land? Right. They'd be screaming all the time. Exactly. Yep. <laughs> that's a wow. That's a valid. You know, that's a valid point. It I, is. Aquaman just comes into the Hall of Justice. It's just Superman. It's just like you went into car. How are you doing today? Right. And you can imagine with Superman's super hearing how bad that would be yeah. for him. It's so, just like you went into car. Listen to the radio, and you get to Danny's Pizza Sub, and you go, "Yeah, like a large steak and cheese." <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. And they're like, "Brother, a little less caffeine, all right?" Wow. <laughs> I, I visualize that that would be absolutely hilarious right. to see that Aquaman come on land. Hello! Yeah. I'm from Atlantis! Yeah. <laughs> My name is Arthur! <laughs> My sorry. is Mira. I'm sorry, Mel. The sound waves don't carry well. <laughs> he sound like Sam Kendall's going to. Ah, Sam Kendall's going Okay. <laughs> lost in a long box has lost their mind in the long box too. Apparently. There we go. Yes, we have. All right. So new releases. Let's get down to some new releases. Uh, Mr. Miracle trade paperback came out today. You got Although it I, I did not see it at my comic book shop, and I meant to ask uh, the gentleman where the hell is it. <laughs> so that's all right because I bought all the issues when they came out, um, and I do plan on going to Awesome Con and buying a copy and just having Tom King sign it. Um, Wonder Twins number one came out, the second book in the Bendis Wonder Comics. Oh, okay. Um, I actually wasn't going to pick it up, and then Ed waved it in front of my face, and I like magpied and went, ooh, and <laughs> next thing I knew, I had it. Um, 
Okay. Oh, so Marvel this uh, released three of them today. Age of X-Men Next Gen number one. I will freely admit I don't have the first foggiest clue what's going on with the X-Men and Age of X-Men series, but it's supposed to be yet another groundbreaking one from Marvel. i got to quit dissing on Marvel. All right, Randy, quit dissing on Marvel, quit dissing on Marvel. Um, Avengers No Road Home number one of ten came out today. Wow. It's ten because it's a weekly. So ah. uh, unlike Doomsday Clock, it should be over in the actual ten weeks as it's supposed to. Yeah, I, I hate <laughs> weeklies. <laughs> oh, and this one, damn it, i got to go back and look for this. I didn't see it. Marvels. Remember Marvels by Alex Ross way mm-hmm. back in the day? Yep. So apparently Marvels Annotated Number 1 came out today. So it looks like they're going to redo all of them, but with nice little liner notes, basically from Alex Ross and, uh, and everybody else associated with the book in it. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Uh, Ennis, I see you got a pile over there. What do you got? Oh, yeah, I got picked up uh, Marvel True Believers last week. I didn't get this when I was a kid, but Ms. Marvel, reprint of the first issue, Ms. Marvel. Yep. I got Daredevil number one, Batman 64. And one I recommend, I looked through this and what made me buy Man and Superman. I picked that up today, too, yes. And the art by Claudio Castellini is absolutely breathtaking. If you don't know who Claudio Castellini is, if you were a fan of the Fantastic Four back during from 94, from 93 to 95, they used to put out a big, thick companion book called Fantastic Four Unlimited. Mm-hmm. He did the covers to those, to those books. And that, the guy does an absolutely phenomenal Superman and Batman. Um, anything he does is great, so I rec- highly recommend that. I looked through it; I didn't read the whole everything yet, but it's good. It's a Superman story without the costume, and that's uh, that's actually Marv Wolfman's take on it. And Marv yep. Wolfman's a great writer. Here's what's funny, and I don't know how I missed this. I just like over the last two days was reading reviews about how good Man and Superman was, and I was like, "Has this come out? Like, when's the release date?" And I kept looking for it, and I couldn't find a release date. And I'm like, "Has this come out already?" And I'm like, "How did I not hear anything about this?" And I went to get my pool today, and it, and it was on the shelf. I'm thinking, oh, there it is. So I snagged that. By the way, apparently Daredevil 1's doing really good. Um, our buddy Ed over at Gateway had to put more of them out today because he, he just noticed his rack was empty. Wow. So I would not be surprised if that doesn't hit a second printing soon. Do you know who I thought you were talking about when you, when you said uh, the, the name of the author of that? Claudio Castanelli, a.k.a. Cesaro. Oh, Cesaro. It's like, oh, it's like, yeah. it's like it's professional Cesaro. wrestler Cesaro drawing comic books? Uh, I mean, it wouldn't be the first time no, that the professional no. wrestlers crossed over, but I mean, like, that would have made me want to read it even more oh, if yeah. Cesaro was yeah. drawing it. And, so. and you know? Very underrated, not pushed enough. Right. As we're talking about new comics, I just I had another news on that popped in my head that I wanted to make sure I, I mentioned to you uh, guys out there. Um, Tom Taylor, the guy who's writing the Injustice series based on the video games, which you have not read, are freaking phenomenal, um, apparently is doing something with the main DC universe um, coming this summer, I guess. I'm... Um, I'm assuming it's going to pick up after Heroes in Crisis, but he has already teased that Darkseid's going to bite the dust in it. Oh, wow. Oh, snap. That's so, a big one right there. Right. Yeah. And it's like I said, if you haven't read the Injustice series by him, you, you have to go read those. They're wow. fantastic. I have year one and year two. Make me pick that up anyway. And yeah, I have them in trade if you guys want to borrow them. I mean, it's just, it, it is literally a story of what happens if Superman actually gets pushed too far and goes, okay, damn it, this is it. <laughs> oh, yeah. And, and, and that's exactly what it is. I'd like to point out that they didn't come out this week, but um, I've been keeping up with Freedom Fighters, number one and two, looking very forward to uh, number three. That's been a very good series so far. Awesome. Um, Naomi, number one, um, English, you're going to love that. Hey, Madman, I don't want to leave you off the conversation. Our boy Madman got to go back and uh, read Superman, Lois, and Clark. Yeah. Trade paperback. Yeah, I did. Okay. Yeah, yes, I'm all right. <laughs> yeah, it was all right. Um, I wouldn't say it was a fantastic book, but it's a cute little family story. Uh, it's, it was interesting to see uh, Lois and Clark working together like a team, like a family should and stuff like that, and that's good and everything. But I think because, you know, they're like trying to be under the radar, I think it was interesting to see Superman not be flashy, you know, trying to be more subtle and so right. forth. And so I, I thought that was kind of interesting, but it is a in many ways, it's just like kind of a cutesy family story. What, what was funny about it is uh, the, the majority of that series, he's working like behind the scenes. And I almost thought to myself, he's the blur from Smallville. Right. <laughs> because right. he was just doing everything, you know, off radar behind the scenes and didn't want to get get uh, noticed until the time when it, be- when it became obvious that, okay, I-, I need to step in because they're going to get their butts whipped. And <laughs> right. 
All right, yeah, so I'm let's sorry. get to our main topic for the evening. Um, February is African American History Month, and so we decided that Lost in the Long Box, we need to pay tribute to um, the African American creators in the comic book industry, um, which I tell you what, I, I love now um, a lot of these subjects that we do on a show because it makes me go and Google search and, and, and do some digging on stuff, right. and then I find out stuff I just didn't know, and I'm thinking, wow, how the hell did I not know this? Particularly like when Thomas and I were researching Aquaman, and it's like, wow, this character is not so lame after all. Right. <laughs> So, and I'm not saying that about, wow, I just realized where I was going with that. That's not what I'm saying about these creators. It's just that you find out a lot when you start digging deeper into your own actual hobby. Right, right. So I'm going to let uh, Enos uh, kick off this because he actually mentioned a creator on our Facebook page, which had a light bulb go off in my head. So, damn, we actually need to do this. Yeah, the person I want to discuss is someone who... If there was one word to describe him, it would be unsung. Because you don't hear anything about him, but everyone who has ever put their hands on a comic book knows should know who this guy is. His name was Matt Baker. Yep. He was the first, among the first um, and more prolific African-American comic book artists whose work was truly ahead of its time. You know, you hear that about Will Eisner's work. Will Eisner, I'll give him his due, was, you know, he, he was kind of innovative, he was innovative and what have you, but Matt Baker drew some of the most beautiful women you could have ever yeah, have visualized in a class. Yes. And his style was clean, it was just so, he drew back in the 1940s, like the guys did during the 70s and 80s. Yep. That's how far ahead of his time he was. Sadly, he um, died at the age of 37 Mm. from a heart attack. So he never really got his due. But he is now, you know, through um, through folks like myself who do research on him, who are now, and those other creators who are being, you know, who are making sure that he is being remembered and honored for the impact that he has had on comics. And he has inspired a lot of people in more ways than one. And um, if I say if there was, if being that I am a comic book creator myself, if I had to name one person who was the father or godfather of African-American comic book creators, hands down, it would be Matt Baker. Absolutely, and, he, and yeah. he's done the 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 book that uh, one of my grails is Phantom Lady Seventeen. Yep, that is a fantastic cover, and I just I want a copy of that. And that's one that it's for me. It's in any condition. If it's a point one CDC, I'm buying it <laughs> because you just it's one of those books that if people have it, they don't come off of it. Yeah, and I mean it. it I, I've seen that. It, it, it's pretty uh, pretty crazy too when you look at it and how much it um, you know. It sparked controversy back in the day with the seduction of the innocent. And I'm looking at it, I was like, well, that's kind of tame by today's standards. But, you know. <laughs> that's, you know, we'll have to do a whole episode just based off of the uh, seduction of the innocent and, and Dr. Wortham and the CCA that came out as a result of it. And Oh, yeah. But, yeah, I'm looking at some of his, uh, have some of his covers and everything here. I figure this man was amazing. And how it's pretty much useless. Yeah. So, uh, Thomas, on to you. <laughs> um, one of the ones I was looking through when I was doing some of my research. I. Uh, Elmer Cecil Stoner, or went by E.C. Stoner. He was an artist back in the it's early days. Stoner. <laughs> yeah, he was an artist back in the early days. One of his uh, one of his greatest works. He worked on Detective Comics number one. Um, Speed Saunders in Detective Comics. He has a nice long list here. But I've, one of the things I found the most interesting about him is he was he is cr- generally credited with creating Mister Peanut. Wow. Ooh, okay. Yeah, cool. Yeah, I thought that was pretty cool. Um, you know, of course, you know, from the comic book standpoint, you know, working on Detective Comics number one is is the big thing. But you know, Mister Peanut. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm still still huge to this day to, yeah. to this day and everything. I mean, he's obviously evolved quite a bit. He's got the monocle now and the the big top hat. But yeah, so I thought that was quite interesting. Cool beans. Uh, so let's go ahead um, and pull out the big one before I get to my actual two other creators that I have here. Um, and one of them who I actually knew enough, knew a lot about, but was surprised how much I was actually reading on him yesterday. Um, let's talk about the, the, the big one that kind of got a, an, un, an uneven shake was in 1947. Um, 
gentleman by the name of, was it George J. Evans Jr.? Founded All Negro Comics Incorporated, and they put out their first issue, All Negro Comics. And the name All Negro Comics is misleading. It's not because it was all based on African-American characters. It's because all the creators on it were African-American. Yeah, right. And one of them was his brother. Um, there was also a gentleman named John Terrell. Um, the thing that's kind of interesting when you read this history on this is there's two artists who are credited only by a name. One was just Cooper. They don't have mm-hmm. a first name for him. And another one was a, an artist who just signed his work as Cravat. I guess mm-hmm. a C-R-A-V-A-T. Uh, but it's funny. It's... um. It was actually 48 pages, which I guess might have been the standard size back then. But one of the things, too, is all the comics that came out at that in that time period were 10 cents. This was a 15 yeah, center, 15 center yeah. right off the bat. So, yeah, and it, um, you know, in addition, like you said, it was you know all African American creators and and you know worked on this book. It's not you know not, not a white hand touched it, you know, so to speak. So I mean, it's it's you know a huge step, you know, and in, in, in not only comics, but probably, you know, American history as well, especially well, when you consider it was 1947. You yeah, know, stuff it's like a that company, wasn't, it's a business. Yeah, it was a business, yeah. you know, owned, you know, completely by an African-American. Yeah. You know, that's just something that, you know, was probably Literally huge, unheard of. Literally unheard of back then. Yeah. Um, you know, and unfortunately, it only ran one issue. Uh, they weren't able to secure the, what they needed to, to publish the second one, and which, you know, was probably due to being blocked because it was an African-American business at right, the time, exactly. unfortunately. Um, you know, it's probably one of those things that, you know, can't completely be proven, but we pretty much know that that was yeah, well, what the, happened. The thing that really kind of sucks about it, too, is when you find out who basically blocked him getting the materials he needed, one of them was Fawcett Comics. Right. The people who originated Shazam slash Captain Marvel, right, for us. Yeah. and. It kind of, and then and then they turn right around and started producing their own black themed titles. I'm like, that is a dick move. You're going to keep that man from getting the materials he needs. It's, it is amazing to me how you know hearing this kind of like brings things full circle because you and I had talked about this with the Captain Marvel situation, the Superman situation, like um, little history lesson. Right. DC. Tried um put they literally put Fawcett out of business because Fawcett had created Captain Marvel who had started to started out selling Superman on on being petty saying that he looked too much like Superman. We all know damn, right. well, he didn't he didn't look nothing anything like him. But now knowing this is kind of like the karma and everything it's that just follows. It, it's, mm-hmm. it's it's divine justice big time. Right. And then you know to see what what Fawcett did to these guys, and you see what DC did to Fawcett, and then you see what Marvel did to DC when it came down to Captain Marvel. So it's it kind of like it comes full circle there. And that's going to be a fun subject we start talking about. Captain oh my Marvel god! In March and now, April. The, the funny thing is, not only was it Fawcett Comics that kept them from getting the, the materials they needed, it was also something called Parents Magazine Press. I really hope they weren't publishing like good housekeeping or family themed magazines because that's a really nice move to do right there, isn't it? Mm, mm. Now they looks like they publish parents' magazine. Yeah. Well, and again, right there, what are we teaching our kid? That's okay to screw over somebody yep. because they might make more money, be more successful at something. And you know, back to the Shazam thing, and we should really save this for our Shazam retrospective, which oh, yeah. is coming. But I I think it was funny that when Shazam first came out. And he's doing, and I'm going to quit calling it Shazam. It's Captain Marvel. It's Dad Captain Marvel. Um, or the Big Red Cheese. You can call it the Big Red Cheese, too. When it first want. came out, DC didn't care until it started out selling Superman. Then they started Superman, then they started giving a damn. <laughs> right. That's going to be a fun episode. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We're going to love wait. that. I can't wait. All right. So we have come full circle. Madman, have you got anybody? I, I haven't really. I, I just have a comment about like how uh, uh, it's a shame that there wasn't any more of these comic books. Uh, all Negro comics. Um, a second issue wasn't was right. never made. It's a shame because I mean it could have had a real impact on like American culture. Well, you know, he Evans did something after the company folded, and I don't remember what it was, and it's not in my notes. I'm I blame fatigue and, and sitting there. <laughs> this is why you don't make your podcast notes the night before at ten thirty <laughs> in the evening. Right, <laughs> got to do it over the weekend. Got to do it over the weekend. But I don't remember what it was. But I'm pretty certain that after the company went under because he couldn't get printing materials, he went on and did some other groundbreaking work within the comic industry. 
Um, and so, guys, you can actually Google that. That's where we got a lot of our information was off the, the Wikipedia. Um, take it as a grain of salt. But usually something this old from 1947, most of what they have is, is going to be factual, and I'm pretty certain. Um, in fact, even some of our creators that we're going to be talking about on this show probably know a little of that history, too. Um, Enos, who else you got here? Well, before you, before you go on, um, do you remember when we went to that, that little rinky-dink con at the Wingate? Oh my God! Yes. <laughs> do, do you remember seeing this book on for sale there? Yes, I do. Yep, that's the only time I've ever seen it, but I saw it there for sale. I remember, right. I remember seeing it and, and thinking to myself, "Oh my goodness!" Because you know, I I didn't even know it existed yeah, by I'm, then. I've never heard of this. Well, before I today. knew, I knew it. I will be honest. I knew it existed only because back in my teens, when I was buying some fifty titles a week. I used to read Overstreet from front to back like a Bible. And let me tell you what, have you seen the size of that mother? That's a chore. Nerd. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, so, especially, you know, it was big back then. It's even bigger now. So yeah. I knew about all Negro comics, but like Thomas, that's the first time I'd ever actually seen one in the wild, as they like to say. Yeah, I'd never, I'd never seen one before. As soon as I saw it, you know, I was like, oh my goodness, what in the world is that? Because, you know, I was like, I, you know, I saw the name. I was like, what? Right. And, and you know, I had no idea. You know, I, I, you know, I, I had to look at it a little bit further to see how old it was and everything. I was like, wow, okay. And yeah. the all Negro comics that they did not have the stereotypical um, nonsense that you saw in a lot of uh, comics. Right. You, you, mm-hmm. actu- right. you actually saw African-Americans depicted the way they were supposed to be. And it wasn't until, you said this was in 47, did, and it was not until 19 years later that um, another guy, uh, probably one one of our, I think it's safe to say he's one of our favorites, Jack Kirby. Oh, uh, everyone, everyone, here, here's a little something that a lot of people don't know or they don't acknowledge. Everyone wants to give Stan Lee props for the creation of the Black Panther. That's wrong. Jack Kirby was actually the driving force be- behind T'Challa becoming a reality because he said he looked around, and, and if and if you don't believe me, please go to A and E and refer to biography series on Stan Lee, and there's Jack Kirby being interviewed, and he said, and I quote, he said, one day I looked around. And I saw that there were no blacks, and they were not properly being represented. So I wanted to create a character that would would be that proper representation, and that character is T'Challa, the Black Panther. So you know, I give Stan the props for help bring it forward. But the man we really need to give major props to for the creation of the Black Panther is actually Jack Kirby himself. And yeah. and not to distract anything from Kurt. Um, from Stan Lee, but yes, there are plenty and plenty of stories just like this one that Kirby's not getting the credit for a lot of those Marvel oh, characters yes. that he should have. Oh, yes. Yeah. Jot that down for another future episode. How many critters did Stan Lee screw over? Okay. <laughs> now, the next one that I want to discuss, and I'm going to do a little segue into this. When we were growing up, there wasn't social, um, um, especially you know, Randy, you and I, since we've been we've been reading for comics for a minute. You didn't have magazines or anything that you could get your hands on that you knew you got the I get to see what the creators looked like. All oh, you yeah. saw, you all no you clue. saw was just a name. The, the names. Yeah. Now the next name I'm gonna give you kind of took me aback. Billy Graham. Yeah, and I'm not t- and I'm not talking about the 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 evangelist. The evangelist. I'm talking <laughs> Luke Cage man. Luke Cage. He yeah. there it is. He this man African American artist was the artist on Luke Cage Hero for Hire when he was known as Power Man. And I used to read these books and I was just so surprised to know that a lot of these guys him Keith Pollard Trevor Von Eden, who created co-created Black Lightning, along with Tony DeZaniga. Um, just did um and Ron Wilson, who did a bang-up job on the Hulk magazine back in the 70s, late 70s. I have I, I found out about Ron Wilson in Right On magazine. Ron Wilson. Didn't he work on Silver Surfer in the 80s? Um that's Ron Lim, I think. Oh, okay. Yeah, Ron Lim. All right. And um, Ron's. and I found out they did an interview on Ron Wilson in um, Right On Magazine because, like I said, back during the seventies, going into the eighties, when I was you know growing up, 
that you didn't have any nope. magazines where you could see what your creators looked like. You, and you were surprised to see how many were black. You had to go to the table and look for the little cardboard nameplate at the front of it to find out who this creator was. Well, I mean, even even like Matt Baker is like that could be a white guy named Billy Graham. That could be a white right, guy named. Right. And a lot of these guys who got these jobs were probably based upon, upon their name on a piece of paper. Right. You know? Right. Damn it. Who was it? Who was it? Oh my God, it's right there. There's a story of a black creator who right out of the tip of my I'm gonna go find it now and it's gonna mm-hmm. come back in a later episode. Basically had a, a white proxy doing the work for him until it came time to actually sign the contract and show up to the office and the managing editor, the hiring editor was pissed because he's like, You're not the guy I've been dealing with. <laughs> well, mm-hmm. we're time to sign my name and a contract, this is who you're getting. Right. So Mm-hmm. You know right. who I honestly though when I, I was I was he showed up on my radar as well, but anytime I hear the name Billy Graham, yeah, yeah, there's, yeah. Only, I, there's only one person I think of, and it's exactly. not it's not even the pastor. It's the hit maker and the record breaker. Oh, yeah, the, the, the one and only superstar, superstar Billy, Billy Graham. Graham. All right, y'all need to keep the wrestling out of my champion. But um but but and you know it's doing the research on this. Some of these guys I knew about, but I but when I first found out about them, I was really taken aback that how many blacks were in this industry. And at the same time, you know, they really didn't get their due. Right. When 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 they were able to be doing this cuz Graham, for example, is no longer with us. Right. And um it's just it's just amazing, and these guys put out some fantastic work. I'm telling you guys, if you ever get your hands on trade paperback or something where you can see some of the earlier issues of these of these characters that you love now, you know you they didn't just start on Netflix, guys. Oh no, you, so good the seventies <laughs> yeah. the seventies Power Man. Oh yeah, so I mean great. that was yeah. It, I'm looking I'm looking at some of his covers and stuff here for some of that seventies Power Man, and this so is great. amazing now, stuff. Yeah. It's funny that you said he was with Power Man because that means he may have worked with a gentleman on my list, um, Christopher Priest, who at the time was working under name under Jim Owsley. Yep. Yeah, because Jim Owsley was um he was an editor and he used to do um a uh column in the uh Marvel bullpen and where you usually would see Stan Lee's soapbox, Jim Owsley would um as he was known then would put the um would put it out. But he was like one of the guys that when he did his spiel, he made it very clear, I'm African American. Right. And and because it's funny, Christopher Priest, who was Jim Owsley, is one that I have on my list. And I found out that when he was writing Power Man and Iron Fist, he left over like a personal disagreement with Marvel. And his run concluded with like the, the controversial death of Iron Fist itself. So he went out with a right. bang. Right. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Right, and and like he he really threw Marvel in a tawdry because Marvel didn't know what to do after that until John Byrne came along with Namor and they found a way to resurrect Daniel Rand in the pages of right. Namor the Submariner back in '92, uh, I believe it was. Right, because by the time Owsley left, the book had officially become Power Man and Iron Fist. Yep. <laughs> At the height of its popularity. Mm-hmm. Thomas, who you got over there? Uh, the next one is that we're grouping them together because of what they did together. Dwayne McDuffie, Dennis Cowan, yes. Michael Davis, <laughs> and Derek T. Dingle. Okay, Dwayne McDuffie's on my list. You can't have that one. Uh, Move on. Uh, <laughs> well, it's too late. <laughs> um, and, of course, what they're most known for is Milestone Media. Media. Yes, the, exactly. The, the, the major African-American imprint um, that DC helped out in the, uh, in the 90s. Uh, hardware, Static Shock. You know, as well as several others. Icon. Well, now here's here's the great thing, because I have to interrupt you here. Dwayne McDuffie, Dennis Cowan, and and Derek Dingle, they started Milestone because McDuffie said he wanted to address a multicultural sensibility and talents and and characters that weren't there. Right, right. So a lot of people, when they think of Milestone, they thought they were all African-American characters, and they weren't because... Zombie was Zom- an Asian American. Zombie was not. Blood Syndicate was multicultural. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, no, a static icon on hardware. But the point is, they didn't concentrate just on African Americans. They were hitting all of those ethnicities all those, yeah. that were being left behind. Right. Yeah, and Static, of course, you know, it went on to it, it had looks like it had an initial forty-five issue run. It would, you mm-hmm. know, it spawned into its own cartoon that was very successful. And, you know, so that was definitely huge out of out of that. I remember when this uh, came out in the nineties. I ninety. Three, I wasn't buying it at the time because I was, let's see, I would have been about 
15, 14, mm. 14 15. I got a whopping $5 a week allowance. Uh-huh. So uh, there really wasn't any room for anything new. Right. But, you know, I do remember when it when it hit the shelves back in the day on the, my local spinner rack at the 7-Eleven. So, man, what, re- man, 7-Eleven. Man, yeah, I remember that. Man, Going to the spinner rack dude, every Wednesday. <laughs> summer was not summer. Unless, forgive me for digressing, folks, but summer was just not, was grow. The greatest things about summer was you got to go to 7 Eleven and get the comics, Slurpee with the comic cups. Oh, yes. And the big wheel. Now, mm-hmm. for those of you who don't know what a big wheel is, <laughs> it's a big old round mound of vanilla ice cream yes. between two oatmeal cookies dipped in chocolate. Oh, oh my, my God. God. I haven't one of those in years. Man, look, summer, once I was able, I used to love to go to Maryland because back when I in the area where I live in the northern neck, they only had one place that had comics, and that was the Cardinal Drugstore in a place called Kilmana. When I would go to visit my uncle in in Maryland, you go to, you go to um, I always kept my money because I knew I was going to get everything I couldn't get back home. Dude, I would go to 7-Eleven and clean up. <laughs> so, so let me tell you how I used to do it. You're gonna, you are going to love this, especially if you've been in the Fredericksburg area as long as Mad Men and I have. Right. I used on Saturday. I would get my bike and I would go downtown, and I would go. Of course, I'd always get stuff at Seven Eleven by my house, right? Right. But there were special items that I couldn't get at Seven Eleven. I had to go to little other places. So I used to get my bike and I'd go to the parking shop across from Mary Washington College, little professor bookstore. They had a little spinner rack over there. And then down on Princess Sam, um, across from the what used to be the bowling alley, um, there used to be a, uh, like a mobile gas station or whatever. Mm-hmm. They had the Marvel magazines you couldn't get. So that's where I would get my Hulk and right, my Epic right. Illustrated and my Marvel previews and what have you. And then the, the holy mecca of comics, down on Princess Anne Street, right across from the Wakefield Motel, down by the old Spur Station, was a place called Robinson's Newsstand. Wow. And she had a whole wall of a magazine rack. And the bottom rack was nothing but comics. And it was all the Marvels, all the DCs, all the Harveys, all the Archies. Wow. I was in there so often that one Saturday I was down there getting my comics that I wanted to get. And and you would and she would get everything. So like 7-Eleven, you didn't have those King Conans because no. they were giant size. She had them. Oh, yeah. You didn't get usually the annuals because they were giant size. She got them. Um, but I was in there so often that she actually said, honey, I got a whole bunch over here that I haven't opened yet. She handed me a utility knife. If you want to go Man. in there and find what she wants, she gave me the checklist. Just mark off which one she take off so I know. So I used to walk out of there, and I'm not kidding, with a stack like this. And I would get home on Saturday with a Mountain Dew and a stack of comics. You didn't see me for Dude, hours. I got, in, I got into King Conan <laughs> because... At a store called little, little convenience store where I live called Little Sue, I got I started on the death of the print the, the prince's dead storyline when they yep. ki- when they had, they had everybody believed that Prince Khan was dead. They had it's me and about, I hooked. I think that's where I actually jumped in. Oh, so we're digressing, but yes, yeah. So yes, back back when you uh, had to go out and hunt for your comics, we didn't have no local comic shop. The only one we had here was Marie's. And let me tell you, anyone who shopped at Marie's at one point or another, she pissed you off and you never oh, went in again. Man. <laughs> you talking about the lady that used to have the shop right across the road from Hardy's on yes. Princess? Yep, yeah. yep, yep, yep. Yep. See, if you that see woman th- was a goof. Okay, there you go, Thomas. So we all du- been there then. Dwayne McDuffie. So you know what? You're talking about Dwayne McDuffie. I got some more stuff here for you because I bet you didn't dig this up or you also, or else you ignored it. So he created the animated Static Shock. Mm-hmm. He also did some writing chores on both Teen Titans and What's New Scooby-Doo. Oh, okay. Uh, but here's, here's the one where I just get all squishy inside. I did not know this. But, well, I, I did, but I just kind of slipped my memory. He was a staff writer for the first Justice League cartoon. And then by the time it went to Justice League Unlimited, he became the editor and producer. Yep. And he actually wrote, produced, or did some type of story editing on 69 of the 91 episode run. Yep. And he was fantastic. He also wrote a lot of their great direct-to-DVD animated films, which, by the way, guys... Um, listeners out there, you can say whatever you want about the DCEU and, and the live-action movies, but they cannot be touched when it comes to animated. They, Second they to none. kill it. But he actually was um, a driving force behind Justice League, The Crisis on Two Earths, Justice League Doom, All-Star Superman, Justice League. I mean, just fantastic. 
So, yes, he not yeah. only was he pivotal with Milestone, but he was really great with a lot of the animated stuff as well. And he had a great run on Justice League of America Volume 2 from uh, 2007-2009. He was yes. writing uh, issues from 13 to 34. That was a great run for Justice League as well. Yeah, it was. Uh, also, that, was that was a very enjoyable run. And also his swan song, uh, Doom, was his last work. Oh, okay. Came and out like... Two days after his birthday, or after he died, right? Yeah, and and I'm gonna tell you something. The tribute that they do for him, if you don't feel it, if you're not listen, this guy was a comics fan's comics fan. Oh yes. You, when you what you knew when you watched Justice League Unlimited, you were going to get a great story because you could feel. The love for the comics, for the genre, and everything that was said and all of the dialogue, you knew McDuffie had his hand in it. Right. And um, it's like like I said, you know, the tribute they did to him, it's kind of hard to watch that and not shed a tear because being that he died at a young age. Yeah, he was only 49. Only 49. And all that he did when he was here. Well, the thing that was really great is – because him and Bruce Tim, they did the regular Justice League. Right. But then when Cartoon Network said that they only wanted to get another two seasons out of it, and they wanted self-contained episodes, they didn't want the, the whole mm-hmm. multi-part, two-parts thing, he was right there with Bruce Tim, and he said, well, you know what? If we're only going to get maybe one or two seasons, let's get every DC hero we haven't used exactly. yet. Exactly. <laughs> and, well, and that was the selling point of the whole series. Right. You, got the, you got the opportunity to see people that you we're only going to read it, about. Right. And um, you know, as far as other tributes, there's a list of them here on his page. In 2015, Long, Bo- Long Beach Comic Expo gave out the first Wayne McDuffie Award for Diversity in Comics. It has since become an annual event for the expo. Awesome. So yeah, that's a that's a good good deal right well, there. Did you know? And I, I didn't know this award named after you. He also revamped uh, Ben 10 for comedy yep. uh, for Cartoon, Cartoon Network. Network. Yep. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he he had a like you said he he wasn't here. You know, he was taken way too early, but he had a very successful career. Quite. Now, you were talking about Milestone Media. Another um, um, creator that I want to talk about was part of that the, that big boom with I with Icon. We were talking. About, I'm talking about the artist of Icon, Mark or M D Bright. Now, oh yes, and um, Mark Bright was also the artist on one of the Pivotal Green Lantern storylines, Emerald Dawn, where they dealt with him being an alcoholic. Mm-hmm. And you also saw uh, he did Quantum and Woody. He did um, Power Man and Iron Fist, uh, which also coincidentally introduced a lot of people to one of the creators of at Milestone Media, Dennis uh, Cowan. So, and he actually, all those titles you're mentioning, I'm, I, and I remember he worked closely with Christopher Priest on those exactly. as well. Exactly. Yes. And and um, he, like I said, he did Icon, but also he was one of the artists doing the Aqua, not Aqua, I'm sorry, the Iron Man storyline where he went up against Obadiah Stane and he had the red and silver costume, the silver armor, which um, if you um, watch the first Iron Man movie, takes, takes a lot from that storyline. One of my favorite things he did too was the uh, the cover to Transformers number five. Oh yeah, with the the one with, with Shockwave stand there with the smoking gun where it says "Are all dead?" Under it, that is one sweet cover. Oh yeah, and oh, as yeah. a huge Transformers comic fan, you know, so that, that was a big one for me, especially back then. I'm seeing a correlation here. One of my guys that I researched and said, "Wow, I, I didn't realize just how much he had his hands in a lot of character and, and all these things." Um, must have also had a thing where. He just told Marvel and DC or whoever, if I'm doing this, I want to work with other African-American artists because his name is a, Christopher Priest keeps being associated with these other guys you're mentioning because you mentioned Emerald Dawn. I'm thinking, I remember Priest was working on that. And you talking about Arnfist. I'm like, well, wait a minute. Priest was working on that too. Right. So A lot of people don't. Christopher Reed, Lord, Christopher <laughs> Priest was instrumental in bringing a lot of African-American talent into Marvel Comics. And that's why Marvel gets their, gets their um, reputation for being, for, for their reputation for diversity because if you wanted to see art or work by a artist of color, you probably would have seen it a lot there at Marvel than you would have at DC, you, I'm sorry to say. And you know what? I know why. Because going through my notes here and looking, I just remembered he was the first African-American editor um, for Marvel. Right. 
So he had a little power to say, you know, I'm an editor. I'm going to put who I want on this book. Right. And um, he didn't disappoint with some great stuff. Now, another one, and then we'll, uh, I didn't want to get to hog the thing, but another <laughs> creator that a lot of us watched, if you have seen House Party, if you have seen Boomerang, if you have seen, um, oh, I can't think of another movie that he did, um, Reginald Hudlin. He, what we know, what we have seen in the movie theaters as part of black of of what we know about Black Panther, he and Christopher Priest were responsible for that. So, so it, um, he definitely gets a nod, and he rewrote and he wrote um, Black Panther that introduced us to his grandfather, who who went up against Captain America during World War II in the initial storyline on his run. So you know, um, he's not really what what you would fall um would qualify as a quote unquote um creator, but he did have a hand in molding one um taking T'Challa from being like a fan, just you know, like you know, a cult of fan favorite to worldwide, and mm-hmm. uh, with with his storyline um because um Jim um Jim Owsley started I'm sorry. Christopher Priest started it during, <laughs> during, the, during the initial Marvel Knights introduction when there was Black Panther, Daredevil, when Quezada was doing it, and The Punisher. But Hudlin took it and took it a step further, and you actually saw a lineage dealing with the Black Panther, which I, well, I'm a big fan of, of books dealing with lineage. That's why The Phantom is one of my favorite characters. And you know, I think uh, to I believe Priest is still working. He just recently did um, an annual back in 2018, right? For yeah, he did Black Panther. Yeah, it looks mm-hmm. like he was on Black Panther annual number one like, last year. So I believe he is actually still active in. Um, the oh, he's Lindsay. very much active. And it looks like he was uh, also in Deathstroke, volume four, number one, uh, August 2016 for DC. Yep. Um, according to his to his page, he's also at an ordained Baptist minister. Mm. Now, are we still are we on priest now? This priest, is priest. Yes, okay. yes, this is priest. Yeah, because Christopher Priest is another one that I was just like I was floored just how much his fingers have been on things. I'm like, wow, I, I didn't know that was him. And, I, of course, I knew the name. I, I You know, it's, it's one of those credits you, that you see enough and you read enough that the name starts to ring a bell. But then when you actually find out what they've actually done, you're thinking, wow, I've actually enjoyed a lot of stuff. And just, you just never just know sometimes. Know who, exactly. Right. Well, I mean, you know, and you can say that about a lot of people. One of my favorite writers is Jeff Johns. If he walked through that door right there, I wouldn't recognize him. Right. right. I have no idea what he looks like. He looks but. like you. Oh, does he? Believe it or not. Sweet. Well, I'll take that. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, the thing, too, it's not just that you don't know who they look like. It's just that you know the name, but you don't actually associate the name with a storyline. And then when they go, well, they wrote this. You're like, oh. And they wrote that. And you're like, oh. And you're like, yeah, well, <laughs> You'd be surprised how much you pick up on a, on a creator just from their body of work. Never see them, but, but, but their body of work just speaks for them. Right. So, well, like, he was a priest, was writing Green Lantern during the Action Comics Weekly days when it went to that whole weekly thing and right. it had all the different characters. And he took the storyline from Action Comics Weekly back into Green Lantern right. regular series when he took over writing that. <coughs> and then he also, what did he, he's, uh, he's done some work on Conan Barbarian. He was on The Ray. He, he did Steel, Deadpool, which, yeah, I'm sorry, you can take that character. Yeah. Um, but then also you mentioned, I think you mentioned this too, he did some stuff for Quantum and Woody. Yep. And uh, Zero. And Mark Wright. Yep. And, and and he also, too, was one of the artists that helped launch Milestone, but due to issues, he had to basically take a step back from it. Mm-hmm. Um, so he wasn't as involved with Milestone, but he was also one of the guys there with Dwayne McDuffie when they said, hey, you know, there's a, a need not being filled here in the comic industry. Let's get on it. Right. Yeah, if you look at uh, the priest. Bibliography here, it, like you said, it is. It's fantastic. It's huge. Yes. I mean, too that you know he's been a working man. Awesome That's, body of work. Yeah, yeah, and it's everything from looks like he did a Marvel No Prize book back in '93, all the way up to <laughs> uh, <laughs> the No Prize. I yeah. can I can proudly say I am an owner of a Marvel No Prize. Oh, I hate you. I shown it to you that right? Yes, you have, and I, I for, forgot about that, but I hate you because I want a No Prize. You know, so have you seen the the, the famous Marvel No Prize? I do believe I did see one. It's an empty envelope. Yeah. <laughs> it says no prize. No prize. 
<laughs> I remember when I got one, I, how thrilled I was. For you listeners who don't know, um, back in the day, you didn't just write in and get a Marvel No Prize. You had to earn that mother. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they, if someone pointed out a, an error in the Marvel comic book, it was like, okay, guys, you tell us how to fix it or why we obviously messed it up, and we'll send you a No Prize. I think as recently as like maybe 2013, they were just giving them away for like just saying, hey, can I have a No Prize? So sure, here you go. Um, so they don't mean as much as they used to, but back in the 70s or the 80s, if you had one of those, your friends were jealous. Oh, yeah, big time. Especially yes, in, in the case of mine, if you got it for the same book that you and your friend both submitted to, yeah. <laughs> and your submission went out. I won it from Micronauts, and we both tried for the same one, and I got it. There you go. Was your letter actually published in Micronauts? I will actually bring you the Micronauts, and next week I have the actual book in a, in a Mylar sleeve. I took the letters page and photocopied it, and it's on the back of the Mylar sleeve along with the no prize. Sweet. <laughs> Famous. In fact, I'll actually put that... Uh, when I bought I bought that comic a couple weeks ago at a couple weeks ago a couple years ago at an awesome con because the dealer had it and I pulled it out and says oh yeah I said this is one of my no prizes and he's like what I says yeah I want a no prize for this book and I opened it up showed him my letter took my wallet out showed him my driver's license he's like huh <laughs> oh, that's interesting <laughs> yeah I'm gonna have to buy that book and get you to autograph it for yeah, me yeah, tell yes, me about sure it will. we're gonna get we'll have to do it at a con so I can get CGC to you know, exactly put it right. in a yellow who's label this, who's this nobody signing your book yeah. this is, hey, he, he, he got a no prize for this he just lowered the good. value by right. half <laughs> all right so you know what guys really good subject um so listeners last week we did the episode of um Moments in comics that actually made us go, wow, that we weren't expecting. So we're going to play on that theme. Next week, we're doing the moments in comic books that actually made us cry, um, which will probably just be Thomas Enos and Madman talking about it because I don't cry over a sissy comic <laughs> book. <laughs> we know you're a weenie. <laughs> and then I want to say the week after that, we're doing um, actual moments in comics that made me laugh. But I have to look at the schedule because I think that comes right on the cusp of going to see Captain Marvel. Yeah. So I know that on March 6th, we're going to do our retrospective on Captain Marvel, and then the 7th, we go see the movie, and right. then Wednesday, we're going to review the movie. Okay. Which you guys might be doing that without me. We're going on vacation, and I think I come back that Wednesday. Unacceptable. Just so tell your wife it, you so have it, to you yeah. have Well, it depends on what kind of – it depends how early I get back. If I get back in 10 in the morning, it's not a problem. I get back at 4 in the, not, in the evening, you're done. Uh-huh. <laughs> Pish posh. Uh-huh. Do you hear that? Lost and Longbox fans, you're just not good enough for them. But, uh-huh. but also, so remember, guys, um, Enos, plug your two web pages because we have a couple pages that uh, Enos out there manages and runs and has some interesting discussions on. Yes, indeed. The realm of superheroes, comics, and pop culture, and Batman yesterday, today, and forever. And if you are, um, the first page is basically we do news, your favorite characters, put pictures up, whatever you like to do. And Batman basically is a Batman tribute page and also gives news and what have you. Before we get off, I got one more creator I've got to go with because I know you guys love this guy. Stephen Hughes. Yes. Absolutely. Sadly, um, cancer took him from us. But if you were a fan of Evil Ernie or Lady Death, (laughs) this is the man who did it. African-American creator. Uh, He worked on this book until he was on... Until his till the illness took over, and um, I'm pretty sure those books are worth a, a pretty penny now. Especially since Lady Death is now celebrating her 25th anniversary. Exactly. Oh, wow, 25 years. 25 years, and also I got one more, Aaron Magruder. Oh yes. Um, if you are a fan of the Boondocks TV series. It's based off his work, and he has a big hand in it. Hopefully, he'll be coming back. And we'll be seeing some more great episodes on Cartoon Network or some way, shape, or form. And also, uh, you mentioned Lady Death. Our, uh, you haven't been here for the previous episodes, but our uh, artist buddy, uh, Monty Michael Moore, has done some covers for some Lady Death books as well. Wow. Um, some of the alternate ones. Uh, we also, guys, if you like our show, uh, our own Mad Men has his podcast every Tuesday night at 6 Shot Monkey Radio, so make sure you tune into that one as well. We do have a Facebook page, you know, obviously Lost in the Long Box on Facebook.com. Um, we have Gmail. Uh, lost in a long box at gmail.com. We absolutely have a Twitter feed, Lost in a Long B1. So make sure you reach out and touch us there. All con- Don't t- touch us there. <laughs> so always a, a contacting us. We also might be doing some um, YouTube podcasting. Thomas and I have something in the hopper. We're going to go talk to a gentleman about that on Saturday. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're just about out of time. 
So until next week, I swear to you that was not Janet Van Dyne that I smacked with the fly swatter earlier. Because why, Thomas? We're lost in the long box. Why the hell is she out doing the venting stuff anyway? <laughs> <laughs> Good night, everyone. Good night, everyone.